This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay. All right, Pachat Pinchas this week. Tonight's July 4th. Just interesting, I was just coming from Manhattan. There are hundreds of thousands of people going to the East River to watch the Macy's fireworks. And coming down the street tonight right here, a block away, there were a lot of... I had to wait in my car because there were firecrackers in the middle of the road and you had to wait till they were finished burning. Right, so... There's a very big lesson to learn from fireworks. They, they pop, they make noise, they flash, and they're gone. They're nothing. And all these hundreds of thousands of people are coming to watch, nothing. It's nothing. It's wow. It's wow. But then it's gone. The power of the Kayak of the Satan when it comes to doing Averis is exactly a firework. It's wow, it's unbelievable, and then it's gone. It makes a lot of noise, it, it's got a lot of colors, and then it's gone. So, hundreds of thousands of people are coming to watch something that, that's there for a second, then it's gone. And their whole life they're saying, wow, 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 wow to this music, wow to this movie, wow to this picture, wow to this, wow to that. Their whole life they're wowing, but the things that they're wowing don't really exist and they don't, they don't last. And the things that last, relationships and other things and, 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 and connections and davening and mitzvahs, no one know, there's no wow. See, Yitzhahara has a way of making wow. So just watching all these people, hundreds of thousands of people going to watch fireworks. It's something to watch. It's very cute. It's very interesting. It's very nice. But the Misa, there for a second then it's gone. So it's just a little bit of a lesson on July 4th, um, celebrating America's freedom. I mean, it, if you look into the history, I think there were a lot of Jews involved um, who came from England who were being persecuted, who came to America. Um, America has some very special things about it. It says, in God we trust. It's the only place in the world that on money, which is the biggest Yetzirah Satan in the world, Hashem's name is on it. And that's maybe why we have, you know, the the... the the richness that America has is on their money. It says, it says in God we trust. I don't know how long it's going to last, but it's still there. So that's a, and freedom of religion. It's a, it's a it's a it's a country of chesed. There's nothing to talk about chesed for everybody. The problem with it is that it's going down the road of kafei of not not appreciating. People are not appreciating what it means to be um, a democratic country where. Where you could dive in and you could you could go out with your yarmulke on your head and hospitals are full of women. We have to thank our Kodesh Baruch We don't have to thank America. We have to thank our Kodesh Baruch that after coming out of a Holocaust, we're in a nation that we could pray and 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 do what we have to do. Pretty much left alone, not totally left alone, but pretty much left alone. So you always have to have a karsatayv. It's very important to have a karsatayv. Which brings me to a very important point that I spoke about this week when I was in the mountains. I spoke on Monday. And I think it's like just like a crazy important point that we have to think about when it comes to Hakar Satov. Hakar Satov means recognizing the good. It doesn't mean appreciation. It's when things are not going good, being able to recognize that in those things that you think are not good, there's good. So there's an interesting thing that Klai Yisrael, before we get into Parashat Pinchas, there's an interesting thing that Klai Yisrael um, said many times when they came to Moshe Rabbeinu, when they thought that Amalek was going to destroy them, when they had no water, when they had no meat, when they had, the, they couldn't go into Israel, they said to Moshe Benu, you took us out of Mitzrayim to kill us in the Midbar. That's why you took us out of Mitzrayim, to kill us in the Midbar? Then, and then he went to, Moshe Benu went to Hashem and said, Hashem, if you kill them in the Midbar, all the whole world is going to be saying, that you took him out of Mitzrayim to kill them in the midbar, that would be such a chil Hashem, and Hashem forgave us. But listen to the listen to the to the comment. Listen to the statement. What's the statement? The first statement, part of the statement is, you took us out of Mitzrayim to kill us in the midbar. Let's look at the first part of your statement. You took us out of Mitzrayim. So one second, you took us out of Mitzrayim. Ten makos. You took us out of being avadim. Paro was killing all the babies, all the, taking the boys and, and checking them and bathing in their blood, throwing all the firstborn boys into the Nile River, taking babies and sticking them in the wall instead of bricks, whipping us. We were slaves. The Makos, 250 Makos, 
the splitting of the Yamsuf, taking us into the Midbar, the, the Anene HaKavoy, the Beremayim, the Mon. So the first statement is, you took us out of Mitzrayim, if you focus on what you just said, you took us out of Mitzrayim, the second half of the statement makes no sense. You, you did Kriyas Yamsuf, the 10 Makois, took us out with all the Nisim, oh, 250 Makois, you, you took us out with all these Nisim and the Flois, there must be a reason to it. But they said just the opposite. You took me out of a tribe to kill me in the Midbar? Doesn't make any sense what you're saying. If you took me out of a tribe and did all these miracles, of course they didn't take me out to kill me in the Midbar, or that I should die from thirst. The problem is that they're only focusing on not the past, not what Hashem did for us, but what it looks like in the future. I don't have water. Uh, how are we going to go into a land that has giants? I don't have food. So if you would be focusing, the, the words that are coming out of Kleistro's mouth, you took us out of Mitzrayim, they should have said, you took us out of Mitzrayim, we did all those miracles, it can't be for nothing, must be we're going to have water, must be we're going to have food, must be we're going to be able to go into, into Israel and wipe out all the giants. But they didn't focus on the past, what Hashem did for them. They focused on the, lots of noise, right? That's what this is. It's such a it's such a lesson for all of us. Noise doesn't have it has it's not real. It sounds it's not real. There's nothing there. There's noise and then it's gone. It's it's such a lesson to 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 us on this night the celebration. It's it's not real. What what Americans should be doing is we should be helping each other. Maybe in memory of America, we should everyone should go visit the hospital, help the vets, and help the right. What is this? Whoever is watching doesn't understand what I'm saying. We're sitting giving a shit and there's a lot of noise going on. There's a lot of firecrackers, M80s, and a bunch of other stuff. It's, it's a very big thing. Anyway, so the problem is that we don't have appreciation for what Hashem did. When you don't have appreciation for what Hashem did, then you're scared of the future, what's going to become. You follow what I'm saying? If you don't have appreciation, I had a girl this week, Nebuch, oh, so depressed, she wants to die. She came to my office to talk to me. She doesn't want to be here anymore. I'm done. I don't want to be here anymore. I have no use. There's no reason for me to be here. I'm just suffering. So, I said to her that that statement cannot be true. Why? Because if there was no reason for you to be here, you wouldn't be here. Hashem has many ways. The Gemara says, I don't know what. 300 something ways for a person to die whatever it is there's many ways for a person to die sicknesses and car crashes and heart attacks and not waking up in the morning and sids and there's so many ways for a person to die so if you did, if you wake up in the morning there's a reason that you're here because if you had no use Hashem has no extras in this world there's not, a, there's not a blade of grass, there's not a grain of sand at the beach that's extra. Because if there's something extra in the world or there's something missing in the world, then the, he's not God. Because God is perfection. So there's, there's not one more grain of sand that should be, and there's not one more blade of grass, and there's not one more girl or boy or human being in this world that's not supposed to be here. If you're extra and there's no reason for you to be here, you're not going to be here. So when you wake up in the morning, you're What is Rabbi Munasecha? Many are your believers. How does that fit into your thank you? I admit before you, the King, everlasting King, you gave me back my, you gave me back my, um, my neshama, b'chemla, with love, compassion, Rabbi Munasecha, there are many, you have many believers. What does that mean? Where, where is that coming into it? Thank you, Hashem, for giving me back my neshama with a lot of love. What's many believers? Are there many believers? If you look at the world, what percentage are believers? What does that mean, Rabbi Munasecha? The Rabbi Munasecha is that if you gave me back my life this morning with love, Rabbi Munasecha, there's many believers that believe that there's a reason you gave me back my, my life. So I said there, you definitely, you definitely are needed in this world, or you wouldn't have gotten up this morning. 
because there's no extras. Your job is to find out what you're doing here. Why you're here. Not that you're here. That you're here, right? The what? The what? That you're here? That you're saying Modani for. Modani for the what? That I woke up this morning. The why you're here? You gotta figure it out. You can't figure that out if you're, if you're listening to your phone a whole day. You have to be able to sit with yourself and try to figure out what, why am I here? Every night, did a cheshbon an Why am I here? What am I doing? How am I changing the world? What more could I do? What did I plan to do today, cheshbon an What did I plan to do today that I didn't do? Every single night, every single morning, what am I going to do today? What's my plan? And if you don't succeed, why didn't I succeed? How can I change that tomorrow? So the, the what, that you're alive, you're alive. Your eyes opened up in the morning. So there's a reason for you to be here today. You need to figure out what's the reason for me being here today. What, and sometimes you can figure that out at night because you see what you accomplished. Now I know what I was here for today. Sometimes you really don't know what you're here for. And something happens in the day and you, Hashem shows you why you're here. The person has to think about why you're here. But the, the Mona Ani is like, you took us out of a trying. But you didn't wake, you didn't give me life today to hurt me. That's not what God is about. We're going to learn about this tonight. God is not a, a, a God that created a human being so that you should suffer. It's not what He created you. It's not the needle. It's not the needle that you should focus on. It's on who's giving you the needle. In other words, if someone walks up to you and sticks a needle in your arm, you're going to whack them one. Are you crazy? Ow! What you do that for? Sugar? So you say, oh, it's the needle. It's not the needle. Because that same needle, is a guy in a white coat, and he's a doctor, and he's sticking the same needle in your arm. Not only you are not saying, what are you doing? You're like, I'll give you $150 because that was a penicillin shot. Or whatever the shot was. Right? It's the same needle. So it's not the needle. It's who's giving you, who's, who's sticking the needle in your arm. If you have a muna and you understand that's Hashem that's giving you the pain, when a person is going through pain, then you understand it's not the pain. It's who's giving me that pain. That was the big mistake, very big mistake, that Bilam in last week's parasha, when the Malach shows up, Bilam says to the Malach, Chatasi, Chatasi, what's my sin? Ki lo because I didn't know, Ki So he didn't say my sin was that I hit, that I hit my donkey. My sin was that I didn't know that you were standing in my way. What does that mean? What's the sin of that? It doesn't make sense. The statement doesn't make sense, girls. What's my Avera? My Avera is that I didn't see you standing in my way. But if I didn't see you standing in my way, then it wasn't an Avera. Avera was, I didn't see you standing in my way. But if I didn't see you standing in my way, so it wasn't an Avera that I made my, my, my donkey go. I didn't know why he stopped. So what he, it doesn't make sense what he's saying. My Avera is, I didn't see you in my way. If I didn't see you in my way, I didn't do an Avera. Terence says, no, he was saying that, oh, I hit my donkey three times because you were in the way. So I, so I thought it was my donkey. And that's why I hit my donkey. But it had nothing to do with my donkey. What I should have realized is that when my donkey was doing what he was doing, it was coming from Hashem. And that was my khatasi. My sin was... But I blamed everybody. Yeah, I lost money because I made a bad investment and I should have studied it more. Or this person died because he smoked too much or he ate too much or whatever. And you're giving all these other reasons and you don't see the Yad Hashem. That's really, it's really coming from Hashem. So Khatasi Kilo Yerani. My sin was that I didn't, that I thought it was coming from my animal. But nothing comes from your animal. It's all coming from Hashem. She says, my sin was that I didn't know that every time my animal changed direction, I should have said, listen, he, he's an animal. He doesn't have das. Yeah, he has no knowledge. It must be from Hashem. His Avera was it. He didn't see there was Yat Hashem. So, the Avera is that it, when a person doesn't have a Muna and he's like, I can't believe I'm going through all this pain. It's like, but who's giving you the pain? If it's a doctor and the pain is medicine, 
So you wouldn't be angry. You're going to pay him a lot of money. You're going to pay him a lot of money. Sometimes I remember I was playing football, and this guy, um, this guy dislocated his shoulder. Now that really hurts. Shoulder was out. It really hurts. Matzala came. Matzala is not allowed to pop the shoulder back in. They're not allowed to. They have to take him to the hospital. They took him to the hospital. In one second, the doctor took his arm. He said, "Close your, close your, put your teeth together," and he just went. And pop right in. He gave a scream. The whole place shook. For one second, it's in. You manage to go home. You can play ball. It's, like, it's not a broken arm. It's a dislocated shoulder. Ready to go. Right? So, could you imagine someone causing someone that pain? You turn around and beat him up with a baseball bat. But it was a doctor putting his arm back into place. Ha! Oh, he got a big bill, big bill for his insurance for that. For that little maneuver. It was like two and a half thousand dollars, that maneuver. Right? Did he complain? No, he saved my arm. I'm not in pain anymore. So it's not the needle. It's, it's understanding who's behind the needle. So Bilam was said, the Chatasa, what's my sin? I didn't realize what's behind the needle. I didn't understand that, that, it was a, that it was not my donkey. I'm beating up my donkey. I'm beating up my donkey for. Now it's very interesting. There's a chidah. It's a, it's a mind-boggling chidah. So I happen to have in my, in my ranch, Baruch Hashem, we're very, very excited. We have a full house. My ranch is, gonna, is full. And in Mitzvah Hashem, it's really going into heavy, heavy motion this Monday. And we're very, very excited about it. I mean, never, I wish I didn't have to have it, but you have to, you have, to have it. I have horses. I have, eight, I have seven horses. Seven horses. I had eight. One passed away. So now we have, we have seven horses. What? Baruch Dynamis? No, I don't know if you have to say that on a horse. Well, whatever. I guess he did his tikkun. A couple of girls rode him, and he did his tikkun while he was in the world, and he made them happy. And... So, when you ride a horse, not English riding, but Western riding, you have spurs, and when you want him to really run, you, you give him a good kick. Right? Or, if you ever watch horse racing, which you shouldn't be watching, so the, the jockey that's on the horse is whacking him. He's whacking him with like a stick. So the question is, the Malach says a chidah, it's a chidah. Malach says to Bilam, last week's parasha, Why did you hit your donkey? What's wrong with hitting a donkey? What was he asking him? If you ever saw the Arabs and they're showing you over there and you watch them riding a donkey over there by Hebron where, they, where they're picking the grapes, right? They have a stick, right? And they hit the donkey always to make him go faster. So the Malach seems to be saying to him, why did you hit your donkey? That like, you're not allowed to hit your donkey. If it's okay to hit your donkey, why would he ask him why did you hit your donkey? Right? If you're riding a horse and you're hitting the horse to make it go fast, would the Malach complain to you and say, why are you hitting the horse? Because that's how you make a horse go. Right? Says the Chidah. Mikan from this pasuk, Remez, it seems to be the Mashikasa Sefer Chasidim. In a book called, in a sefer called the Sefer Chasidim, it says, "Call me Shirechev Alasus." Any person who is riding on a horse, umake also b'magafim, and he hits the horse with a whip, asid hulitein esadin. In the future, he will have to give a din v'cheshbon for hitting that horse. And he brings it down from a Rishon called Rabbeinu Ephraim. So it seems to me that a Kosh Baruch Hu, we're going to talk about this tonight. A Kosh Baruch Hu, you need to make your horse go, do everything you can without hitting him. That if you hit a horse to make it go, you're going to give Din V'cheshbon for it. It's a chidah. The Pita people will be very happy about this chidah. You're not allowed to, even, you're not allowed, you're not allowed to whack a horse. Imagine Chatham hitting a, a person, a child, Another person, yeshiva, Rebbe hitting a kid. If, if, you, if you're going to give din v'cheshben for making a horse go by hitting it, or you're going to give din v'cheshben you ever hit a kid. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Or you hit another Jew. Or you hit anybody. If an animal, you're going to give din v'cheshben. Be very careful not to hit, not to hit kids. Not to hit anybody. Okay. Anyway, just I found it very fascinating that the chidot would say this. But it's not his word. He says it from the Ephraim. Again, Call me Shirechev Alasus, and I, I told it to my trainer, my 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 uh, therapist up there in the mountains. I said, "Don't be hitting my horses. If you want them to move, pull them, do whatever you have to." But the chidos says, "Don't hit them because if you hit them, you're going to give a din v'cheshmer." 
You even have to be nice to your horses. Across that time, Hashem has people understood how how machmir, how machmir, how strict the Kodesh Baruch is about Akaras Hatayv. Okay. On top of that, last week I was very excited about a Rashi. And the Rashi said that Hashem was angry at Bilam, which is hard to understand because Hashem said like this. Let's go back a little bit. If Balak would give me a house full of silver and gold, I still couldn't go against Hashem. So uh, Hashem came to Bilam that night, and Hashem said, listen, if these people came to you, you can make some money. Right? You can make some money. If you're going to say what I want you to say, you can make some money. So go. You can go. He gets up in the morning. And he saddles his own donkey. I'm sorry about Hashem gets angry that he went. One second, you told him he could go. What are you getting angry about? You told Bill him he could go. So why? The next passage, Hashem says he's angry. Says the Mepharshim. Then Hashem was like, you know what, Bill? You need money? You want to make a lot of money? I'm letting you go against my will. It's a business. And you want to make some money, but you can't curse the Jews. You're going to have to say what I tell you to say. But you know what? You can make a lot of money here. Go. But what happened was, Bilaam didn't go for the money. Bilaam went because he hated the Jews. How do you know that? Because he got up the next morning and he, he had all these servants and he saddled the animal himself. And he got up early in the morning. To go to the Jews and do what he had to do and get paid, he could have gotten up at 9.30 in the afternoon, in the morning. His... His servants could have saddled his animal. But because he got up very early and he saddled the lamb, he showed that he's not going for the money, but he's going for the hatred. Oh, said Hashem, you're not going for the money, you're going for the hatred? Hashem got angry at him and said, that's not what I gave you permission to do. And Hashem put a malach out there, I spoke about this on Monday a lot, Hashem put a malach out there to... Blocked him. And the way we talked about it last week, we thought, he said, I'm about to block him because I told you not to go, and I'm angry at you. Now you're not going. I'm blocking you. A malach with a sword. Said Rashi, which we got all excited last week, right? What was this malach? Lusatanloi, says Rashi. Malach shall rachem imoya with a malach of pity. And Hashem wanted him, wanted to stop him from sinning. Why would Hashem care if Bilam sins? Hashem did not want him to sin and be destroyed. So surely we said last week that God created a malach of pity to stop Bilam from sinning so that he shouldn't be destroyed. Could you imagine the angels he creates for us not to sin so that we shouldn't be punished? I thought that was the ultimate Rashi. On showing you how much Hashem loves us, that even when you want to go against Him and do the wrong thing, for the worst lowlife in the whole world, he, 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 he was married to his animal, he actually was married to her, and he did every sin that you can imagine possible. Hashem said, I still don't want him to be destroyed. So I'm going to create, I'm going to send the Malach, Machlaikins, uh, Balatunim says it was Gavriel, another person say it was Michal, Sent a big malach to protect him. From here we see, I've spoken about this a few times, that even though we need to show unconditional love for our children and to try to bring them back to Hashem, but there is a group, a, a, a theory called twisted parenting, where... They believe that if your kid wants to be mechal shot, wants to wear pants, buy him the pants. Wants to eat tray, buy him the tray. Wants to do drugs, buy him the drugs, right? So, so at that point, I don't agree anymore. I agree that Rabbi Y.Y. Jacobson said something last week, which is amazing, which I will repeat. I, I agree that you should give your kid the most love. You should open the door for your child. I mean, open the door physically, but the door should be open for him to come back. And you should show him amazing love as long as his behavior is not is not hurting the other kids in your house. You don't have a right. Hashem gives you something to watch. You have other children. 
to let one child destroy your other children. That you can't do. But if he wants to go into his room, if you have an only child, I, I was just telling someone, I very much believe if the parents have an only child and he wants to come to the Shabbos table however he wants to come, if it's not going to affect any other children, it's not going to affect the parents, give him a shot. If he's at the table, it's the, 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 the Russia, beautiful shot. The Russia, on the, by, the four, by the four children, the Russia comes right after the Chacham. But the Russia shouldn't come after the Chacham. It should be the Chacham is the best, the Tom is second to the best, the Shani the Elisha, the little kid is third to the best, and the Russia is the fourth. So the, 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 the Arba Banim should be Chacham, Tom, Shani Deh, Russia. Why is the Russia next to the Tzaddik? He, the Tzaddik is the best, the Russia is the worst. He should be the bottom. Says, what? So, so the, the answer that I saw is that since the Russia came to the table, he's one of the four kids that's at the table, this year's Russia is next year's Chacham. He's at the table. That's as long as he doesn't affect the other kids. So therefore, when he comes to the table and he's asking a question, the Russia is asking a question which does affect the other kids because he's saying, What is this? What are you doing? Right? So all the other kids at the table are like, whoa. So Hakeshina, you gotta let him have it. You gotta answer him hard. Because he's affecting the other kids. But if he's an only child in the house, he comes to the table, Baruch Hashem. But if they're affecting any other child, you don't have a right to sacrifice one child for another. We don't we don't we don't do that. We're not Melech. We don't sacrifice our children. So as long as that child is going to their room, whatever they're doing is between them and Hashem. If they go into the house and they're coming to the table with on Shabbos, smoking or listening to music and stuff like that, then they're, and they're affecting the other children, then it's made Adam Mechavero. Then it's not fair what you're doing to the other kids and to the rest of the family. But what you do in your room, that's not my business, that's between you and Hashem. But, the part of helping another, a kid do an Avera is totally against this Rashi. Rashi's saying that the worst person in the world was going to an Avera Hashem did whatever he could to stop him. He didn't help him go. He did whatever he could to stop him. He made a malach shorachim. It's the only time you ever see that word. Malach shorachim. He made a malach shorachim so he should be able to stop this Russia. Why? He didn't want the Russia to go to Gehenna. He didn't want to be destroyed. He deserves to go to Gehenna. He was the lowest guy in the whole world. No, but it's Hashem's brilliant. Hashem said, no, the last second maybe he'll change his mind. I have to try to stop him. So we see from this Rashi how important it is to try to stop someone from doing an Avera. Not helping someone do an Avera. So we see that what is Rachamim? Everyone thinks that being that 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 allowing people to do Averis and helping them do Averis means you have pity, right, and empathy for that person and you know you shouldn't be harsh and you shouldn't, you know. But Rashi's saying no. A malach of Rachamim is a malach that wants to stop you from doing an Avera. Why does he want to stop you from doing Avera? Because he doesn't want you to be lost. Our job in this world is to make sure that the children of Hashem are not lost. So we have to have rachamim and we have to love them. We have to show them a lot of love. But not help them do Averis. Just the opposite. It's a Rashi. It's not right often. Again, Rashi says that the Kishbaruch created a, a Malach, right? Malach show rachamim hoya. What was the rachamim? What is rachamim? What does it mean you're having rachamim, rachmanis? Have rachmanis on this kid. What's having Rachmanus on a kid? Stopping him from sinning. That he shouldn't be destroyed. I think it's the ultimate Rashi. On the relationship with Hashem to us. You want to do the worst of in the world? He's angry at you. How does he show his anger? By trying to stop you from doing a sin. But there's another Rashi that might be even bigger. That might even be bigger. And Rashi says the following... So they're having a discussion. By time Asan al Bilam, so the Asan says to Bilam, the donkey and I was here first. I was here before you, and I've been here for you since the first day. Do you do you think I would just do this? he said, No. And he died. It's not a Rashi, it's a Yalka Shimoni. The donkey died after he said that. So one, one, one of the Chazals say that he died because a talking donkey would have been an Avayi Zara. And everybody would have served the talking donkey. 
says the Yalka something amazing. The Yalka says, why did the donkey die? You're not going to believe this. Why did Hashem kill the donkey? So what happened was like this. Bilam said to the donkey, had I had a sword in my hand when you did this to me, you blocked me and you turned, I would have chopped your head off. Said the donkey to Bilam in front of all the Moab people that were there, I don't understand what you're saying. You're going to curse the Jewish nation. You want to kill three million people with a curse. Why do you need a sword to kill me? Why don't you just curse me? Brilliant donkey. You're telling me if I would have had a sword, I would have killed you. What do you mean? You could have killed me with a curse. You're, going, you're not going to kill the Jews with the sword. You're going to kill the Jews with, with your mouth. So if you're so powerful, you could kill the whole nation. With your, why don't you just kill me with your mouth? And Bilaam didn't have an answer. He looked stupid. The donkey made him look stupid. Zot the Yakachimoni. Kivan Shadibra, because the donkey spoke Mesa, she died. Why? Chas Hakadosh Baruch God was sensitive. Al Kvaidai for the honor. Shall I say Russia? For this Russia. If he's going to leave the donkey alive, people are going to say, Zuhi, this is the donkey, Shesilkez Bilam, who made Bilam look like a fool. Therefore, Baruch Hu said, I have to kill the donkey, because as bad as this guy is, and as big a rush he is, if I let the donkey live, people are going to make fun of him. I don't want people to make fun of another person. What do you mean? He's in Russia. He's going to curse the Jews. He's the lowest guy. He lives with his donkey. You care about his feelings? It would be great. People should walk around saying, look at that idiot. The donkey's smarter than him. Shem says, no, no, no. He's going to get his, but make fun of him? No reason to make fun of him. And he brings down, he brings down a Pasuk in Vayikra. And the Pasuk says the following. The Gemara talks about this. The lowest Avera that a human being can do is to have physical relations with an animal. Bestiality. It's the lowest that any, th- any human being could do. And the Pasuk says that if a woman has a physical relationship with a male animal, she has to die. Chayv Misa. And the animal has to die. Chazal said, what the animal do? It's an animal. It, didn't, didn't, it has no das. Why does the animal have to die? She has to die. She did a terrible sin. The most immoral act that's humanly possible. Well, why are you killing the animal? What did he do? What did he do wrong? He's an animal. This is what it says. Because people are going to walk around and say, you know that lady that just died because of her sin? That's the animal she was with. And Hashem says, why does she need to be embarrassed after she died? People are walking around, that, that's, can you believe it? That animal, that's who she was with. Hashem said, kill the animal. I don't want anyone walking around saying that that's the animal that she was with. She's a Russia. She did the worst Avera. It's a Te'eva Hashem. It's the worst Avera in the whole world. She did it. Just the opposite. Everyone should see. That's the animal. And if you're with an animal, you die. It's the perfect lesson to teach everybody. That animal, not only should be kept alive, should be put in a cage in the middle of the town. You know why she died? Because of that. Because she did with that animal. The biggest lesson. Says Hashem, no lesson, nothing, no lesson. She made a mistake. She didn't have error. She died. Get rid of the animal. I don't want anyone making fun of what she did. Hello? Chas, says Yaakov Hashem is sensitive to the worst Russia in the world? That there's no reason why should you talk bad about her after she, she, paid her, she paid her dues? She paid her punishment? Kill the animal immediately? The animal's killed? Even though it has no das, it's not the animal's fault. He doesn't know what he's doing. The animal has to be killed right away because Hashem doesn't want someone to be made fun of. Or you should use that as a lesson. Nebuch, how many kids in front of a class I used as a lesson? Even an animal, after doing such an avery, can't use it as a lesson. That kid, you see that kid? We threw out a yeshiva. Why? How many times in my life did I hear? You know why we threw out a yeshiva? To set an example for everyone else that they should see. If you act like him, you're going to get thrown out of yeshiva. 
Holy moly, look what you just said. The opposite of this woman that did the worst of ever, we kill the animal. We don't want to teach anyone a lesson that that person should be embarrassed. And this kid, you want to teach the whole school a lesson? Because he ran away from school? So everyone has to see what's going to happen to him? Or he was talking to a girl, so we threw him out of yeshiva. But whilst we have to, we have to teach everyone else. This is the word they use. There has to be a carbon. She has to be a carbon. She has to be a carbon. She talked to a boy. We have to throw her out. Why? You couldn't have Rahman? No, everyone has to know. Talk to a boy, you're out of my school. Hello? Tyra says she did the worst that married kill the animal. No lesson. Don't use her as a lesson. She paid her dues. It's, it's Tyra. I'm not talking my own opinion in Chinuch. You're not allowed to use a person to set a lesson for the rest of the school. You're not allowed to even use an animal to set a lesson for a, cl- for a woman who did the craziest Hamera in the world. This girl was talking to a boy, so that's it. You want to teach the whole seminary a lesson? That this is what happened? So she has to be publicly embarrassed and thrown out of the seminary and sent back to New York? Because the girls have to know this is the situation. If you, if you come home drunk or you come home late or, you come, or you're talking to a boy or we didn't know where you were, you have to set an example. No, you don't set an example. She has to pay her dues, whatever it is. But you don't use a person as a lesson. We don't even use an animal as a lesson. We don't even use the donkey of Bilam as a lesson. Allah is common common. You can't use a person as a... We threw him out of show. We have to teach all the other families. We, yeah, yeah, we to, we, he's a lesson. person's a lesson? Because Baruch says, Chas al Of the biggest Rasha. Of Bilam. Of a woman that's with, a, with an animal. The biggest Rishayim. Because Baruch says, You have to be sensitive. You have to be sensitive. Get rid of the evidence. Get rid of the evidence. The evidence shouldn't be around. Nobody should be pointing. Ha ha ha. Just the opposite. It's a Rashi. Oh, we got to learn. We got to learn from the Torah. Anyway, so he said a new ridiculous story um, of Y. Y. Jacobson. Said a new ridiculous story last week, and he said the following. He said the Lubavitcher Rebbe, the the last Lubavitcher Rebbe, the seventh Lubavitcher Rebbe, the one that we all know. So he wasn't always a Lubavitcher Rebbe. He had a his father wasn't Lubavitcher Rebbe. His father-in-law had no boys. He married the old Rebbe's daughter and he became the new Rebbe. So when he was young, he wasn't Rebbe yet. His father-in-law was Rebbe. And people would come to Lubavitch that weren't from at all. They didn't keep Shabbos, they didn't keep Kashras. I don't even know if they were married to Jewish people. I don't know what exactly. But they were not a good Jewish level. And at that time, he was a young man. He wasn't a Lubavitcher Rebbe. And he would take him in while they were waiting for the Rebbe coffee, cake, hug them, hi, what's going on, high-five them, show them love, all these people that were mamash, mechal, everything. The Alta Hasidim went over to the young son-in-law who became the last rabbi and said, we don't hold of what you're doing. We don't hold of what you're doing. These people mechal Shabbos, these people are not in kosher, I don't even know if they're married to Jews. You have to tell them that... that, that that you can't just come to the Rebbe for a, for, for, for a bracha. You gotta change. You gotta criticize them. You gotta give them muster. He was going the other way around. He was giving them cake and coffee and giving them hugs and love. And they're telling him, that's not, we're not new age at that time. We're going way back. No, you have to tell them where it's at. So he didn't know. He didn't know what to do. Maybe they're right. These are the out them. So he went into his father-in-law, who was the Lubavitch Rebbe, the sixth Lubavitch Rebbe at that time. And he said, I, I, you know, I, I've been treating these people very nice. They're not keeping the Torah mitzvahs. They don't want to fill them. They don't do anything. And the Chassidim are telling me, maybe I'm doing the wrong thing. Maybe you can tell me. Should I criticize them? Should I, should I put Like, what should I do? So his father-in-law said to the Rebbe, to, at that time it wasn't the Rebbe, he said to his son-in-law, let me ask you something. If you ask a parent, how much do you love your child? What would a parent answer? If you ask a kid how much you like your ta- how much you love your tati, to Shemayim, to Hashem, the kid there's no boundary, so his boundaries to Hashem, there's no one past that. To Hashem, right? How much is it how much does a parent love a child? There's no boundaries. I have a Hashem, I have children, whoever has children, there's no boundaries. You can't get like a thousand pounds, a million pounds, ten million dollars, there's no there's no boundaries, it's infinite. My love for my children is infinite. There's no nothing in this world that that that, that I could, you know, a billion dollars, no, a trillion dollars, no, a zillion dollars, no. 
till Hashem, because that's the furthest you can go. So it's infinite, it's boundless. So the Rebbe asked his son-in-law, if that's the case, so you have your oldest child, and you gave them all this love, infinite, boundless, so when you have your next child, how do you have any love left to give them? If your first child you gave all your love to Hashem, so where do you have anything left for the second one? Brilliant question. The answer is, my love for my second one is also boundless. Ah, and your third, and your fourth, and your fifth, and your sixth. I don't understand. Then your first, then, then your first love does have boundaries because you got to have something left for the second one, and the third one, and the fourth one. But if it's boundless, then you have nothing left. Out the Rebbe asked the son-in-law. Said, "My high, how's it possible?" He says, "Okay, let's say it is possible." So you have seven healthy kids, and you give them crazy love to Shemayim. So your eighth kid, Chatz Shalom, is born a special needs child. Now, you got to give that, not you got, you will give that child your boundless love that you gave all the other kids, plus more love. But if it's boundless, how could you give him plus more love? Same type of question. If you're giving everything to one, so you could say, maybe I could give all my ones equal, but, the, but then the last one that needs a special love, because these special needs, how, where does that come from? Past Hashem? You can't go past Hashem. Past infinite? There's nothing past infinite. This is a big deal. It's a deep question. So the son of law about which really thought about it, he said, it's much more than when, than when it comes to loving your children, you can give 10 times infinite. You can give 12 times infinite. You can give 5 times infinite. And infinite stretches when it's a special needs child. What made Lubavitcher Rebbe, Lubavitcher Rebbe that? You agree, you don't agree, Lubavitcher doesn't make a difference. No one's going to disagree about the Kirov in the world. The amount of, of tefillin that is put on in the world. They just came up. I just saw this. They just came up with a ways. Like you have ways, right? For tefillin. What does that mean? They made a database. And they got from all over the world people that are willing to go put on tefillin to other people. Right? So, Rezekiah Wallstein, between the hours of 10 and 12, I have time. I live in Flatbush. Right? Um, those two hours, I could go anywhere. In my re- Anyone needs tefillin to be put on tefillin? I could go put on anyone, right? So thousands, hundreds of thousands of people are plugging in. I live in Nebraska. I live in Idaho. I live in Iceland. I live, right? So it's a database. Everyone can put in where they live and if they have time to put on tefillin. Now, the person who needs to put on, needs to put on the tefillin, right? He's in Idaho. And the Babich sends out this, that, this, this ways. And you hit your, what do they call that on the, on the iPhone? The, what are all the little... What? Yeah, the apps. It's an app, right? So you hit your app, and you're in Idaho on some street, whatever it is, and you're like, I want to put on tefillin. Now that automatically goes out like ways to all the people that are within that area that are willing to put tefillin onto someone else. So you're talking about thousands, hundreds of thousands of people, right, who are not from whatever it is, but you know, I'll put on tefillin five minutes in the morning. They hit their app. Within five, ten minutes, some guy drives up with tefillin. And it's all connected throughout the whole world. You like them, you don't like them, you agree with them, you don't agree with them. The guy's putting on tefillin, he's making a bracha, he's putting on tefillin. In Shemayim, that guy has no ganed and one time putting on tefillin. We don't even understand what, what, what this chus is. So what Rashi said over here, Hashem made a malay rachamim. He made a malach of rachamim of pity that this bilam shouldn't do an avera. Could you imagine the malach of someone putting on tefillin of a guy who hits a button and says, I didn't put on tefillin today, maybe I can put on tefillin. Well, I don't have tulin. I'm in Nebraska. I forgot my tulin. I'm on a business trip, and I don't have tulin. And you hit a button, and, and you get a, you get an answer within within seconds. Meet me in this in this corner. I have tulin. Brilliant. Where does it come from? Where does it come from? It came from the Rebbe's father-in-law telling him 
that HaKadosh Baruch Hu, in Klai Yisrael, every Jewish person is called Banim Atem Hashem. So just like a human being can have the same infinite love for every one of their children, HaKadosh Baruch Hu has the same infinite love for every single one of his children. And the child that's disabled, the special child, the Jew that's coming to the father-in-law at that time, who doesn't keep Shabbos, who's coming from Idaho, South Dakota, you know, came out of the Holocaust, never put on tillin again, whatever it is, wherever he's coming from. So he's not the regular child. He's the child that's born, that has a disability. He's a child that never heard a Jewish word in his life. He's a child that the first words that came out of his mouth was Shmau, the first time he ever said a Hebrew word. So he's a child with special needs. He's not a child with special needs physically. He's a child with special needs spiritually. So that child gets even more love from HaKadosh Baruch The broken person gets even more love. The Ani gets even more love from HaKadosh Baruch And when he cries to Hashem, Hashem answers him right away because he gets even more infinite on top of infinite. And that's, the Rebbe took that and that's how he understood every single Jew. Every single Jew, you have to have infinite love. Hashem has infinite love for them. And the ones that don't know anything, don't push them away. Just, just the opposite. That's the one that Hashem gives even more love to. So that's, that's how Hashem looks at all of us. And that's why these Rashi's make sense. Because if that's my God and I'm his child and he loves me till, till Kisar Kavod or whatever the level, the highest level is, right? That, and he loves me that way, then, then yes, he doesn't want people walking around, you know, pointing fingers. I, and I, I, I don't know if I ever told you this, but I told it to them Monday and a lot of people were like, whoa. So there's a rabbi in Eretz his name is Rabbi Rosenwasser. He's very big. He, he, he's, he's a Makubal. He's not a Makubal. He's a, he's a very big tzaddik. Okay? I, don't, I can't tell you. He uses Kabbalah. He doesn't use Kabbalah. But he's a very big tzaddik. And he sees a lot. He sits and learns a whole he's, he's, he's a Chashua Kaddish Dika person. People ask him for business, for aces, for this, for that, for this and that. I'm, I, I went to him. And it was two years ago I went to him. And it was... The day after Yom Kippur. I don't like to go to Tzadikim before Yom Kippur. I like once I'm clean, I like to go to them. Once I did Tshuva. I don't like to do it before I do Tshuva. I'm a little bit nervous. So I go to everyone after. I go to Rav Chaim. I go after Yom Kippur. So I sat in front of him. He says, I know what you do. And I, uh, some people talk. What, what? He says, what's your question? What do you want to know? I said, I'm going to ask you a question. Just, I'm sure most people don't ask this question, but I need, I need an answer. I said, I work very hard for Hashem's children. I want to know if Hashem's happy with me. I want to know in Shemayim, are they happy with Zechariah Wallstein? He looked at me and said, no one ever asked me that question. I'm like, I told you, but I need to know because I'm working very hard. Okay, he closes his eyes. That's what he does. He goes away. Mom, she's not there. And he's writing things while his eyes are closed. Okay, I'm sitting there, I'm like, things are not so good. Because if, if they were happy with me in Shemayim, he just would have rolled toe. We're taking him 10 seconds, he would have come back and said, they love you, you're doing great! But he's writing for 20 minutes, I'm like, eh. It's not good on the back of your report card if you see the teacher writing a lot. It's, it, because to write Mitzuyon is one word. To write, he has potential, but he's not doing his potential and he should behave. And that, that's a long thing. If you see more than one word, Mitzuyon, or Tov Ma'o, two words... You're in trouble. And this guy's riding away. I'm like, ah. This is a true story. He opens his eyes. He says, you can handle whatever I tell you? I'm like, my... I got to... This is not good. I'm like, yeah. He says, they're not happy. I'm like, what? I'm thinking to myself, I'm killing myself. They're not happy? He says, no, they're not happy. I said, can you tell me why they're not happy? He said, yeah, I'll tell you why they're not happy. When you speak in public, many times when you're giving Musr, you mention the bad things that people are doing. Talking by Domine, and watching movies, and all this other stuff that you get. Hashem knows what His children are doing wrong. But even though a parent knows what their children are doing wrong, they don't want anyone else saying it. In other words, I might know my kid's not doing well, but you're the teacher, 
don't tell me bad about my kid. I know, I know my kid's not doing his homework. But don't, don't you start telling everyone or telling me even what, bad about my kid. I know what's going on with my kid. You don't get up and talk about it. I'll deal with my child, but I don't want you getting up and talking. He said, Shem's not happy that you talk bad about his children. I'm like, uh-oh. He's not happy that you talk bad about his children. He wants you to talk good about his children. He's like any other father. That's what this McCobble told me. He's like any other parent. Anyone who's smart teacher in PTA, we used to always say, my principal always said, when he gathered all the teachers, when you talk to the parents, start off with something positive. Always, you know. Even if it's the most rare thing, like, you know, your son's a great ball player. Parents came to wonder how he's doing in the Gemara. You're like, he's such a great ball player. You know, he's a really good looking guy. You're like, what else? You can't start off and saying like he's a bum, he's off the derech, he's a failure, he disturbs my class. You can't, you can't do that. Because first of all, they're going to fight back, they're going to argue with you. And second of all, they're going, to turn off, they're, going to, they're going to turn off. So you have to compliment a person's children first. You don't just write bad, you don't just talk bad. He says, Shem is not happy, you talk bad about his children. He knows what his children are doing. He knows the kids that are off the derech. He knows the girls and boys, what they're doing together. He knows all the stuff that they're doing. He knows all the bad stuff. You can't talk about his children in a negative way. I walked out of there, and I was like, oh, my whole life I'm working my brains off, and I'm going to come and Shemayim after, after 120 years, and then Hashem's going to say, you, you Wallenstein, you talk bad about my kids? I don't want you here. Get out of here. Go, 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 go away. He's a parent. You're the guy? You're the guy that spoke on Torah anytime about my kids? Tens of thousands of people heard that my Jewish children in Flatbush are doing this and that? He shook me to the roots. Right? I don't want I don't I don't want a teacher to tell me bad about it. If I know my daughter's not doing well, I know she's not doing well. I don't need you to tell me about it. We go to PTA to hear the good stuff. Not the bad stuff. I know the bad stuff. I want to hear the good stuff. So I totally changed. You will never hear me talk bad about Clydesville for the last two years. I will not say anything bad about Clydesville. I will give chizuk. I will talk about the stuff that we're struggling with. But you're not going to hear me talk about a virus that Clydesville does. I stopped. So last year, after Yom Kippur, the year after the story, I went back to him. And I said, um, how am I doing in Shemayim now? And he was writing, not so much. And he said, now they're happy. Hashem wants to hear chizik, and he wants to hear good about his kids. He doesn't want to hear bad. And that's, I changed very drastically. I don't know if you picked it up on my shiurim. I'm very careful not to talk Lashon Haran Klaistro. So you, from this, you need to understand, the reason I'm telling you this, from this, you need to understand how God looks at us. He looks at us as His children. And He will do whatever He can to stop you from doing an Avera. You just have to open your eyes. But He creates Malachim of Rachimim all day long to stop us. He doesn't want us to have the consequence, not the punishment of God. He doesn't want His children in Gehenna. He doesn't want His children suffering with cancer. He doesn't want His children in pain. It's His children. So He sends these Malachim Rachimim but even though he sent the Malach Rachamim, Bilam was so into his Avera, he didn't see him. The donkey saw him, but he didn't see him. He was there, the Malach was there to save him. He shouldn't do it. Chatasi, my sin was, I didn't see you. That was his sin. So sometimes, even though Hashem tries to stop us, and he sends us all these, we're so into our Avera, we just don't see him. So we need to open up our eyes and to realize that Hashem doesn't want you to do this Avera, and He doesn't want to punish you, and He will do whatever He can, create Malachim, that you should not do that Avera. And also, He doesn't want you to be an example for others. Chas al He's sensitive to your honor, to your respect. That's who God is. Not this picture that they paint of this evil, angry, punishing, I don't know, God. It's not who He is. Madach, Surely for Bilam, Hashem didn't want the animal around that people could point to the animal. For the lady that was with the animal, Hashem doesn't want people to say, See, see what happens? Look what happened to her. No, she's not an example. 
She's a consequence of what she did. But she's not an example. You have to kill the animal right away. Kill it, bury it. No one should see the body. No one should see the nothing. Gone. Have a good day. And like the like, like the father-in-law Lubavitcher ever said, and every 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 Jew to a Baruch Hu, he loves that Jew. That Jew is a son, and if that son doesn't have Torah mitzvahs, he's a special son, and he needs even more Torah mitzvahs. And our job is to stop kids from doing averus in a loving way. Well, how do you know in a loving way? Because it's a malay rachamim. Wasn't a malchei din? It was a malay rachamim. It was an angel of of rachamim. Okay, so we'll end. I, I said this last week. I don't think so. I did say it last week, but I didn't say. No, I didn't say this last week. So we'll end with a good, a good, an interesting story about simcha, about love, and about simcha. This is a true story with the Chazaynish. Um, somebody came to the Chazaynish. His kid swallowed like a quarter. And it was stuck in his throat. And the doctors, nobody could get it out. So he went ahead and he said to them, I can't help you, but go to the Panavetcherov. So they said, the Panavetcherov, why should we go to the Panavetcherov? And he said that the Panavetcherov used to raise money for the yeshiva. And he said he was able to get money out of the hardest places in the world. People didn't want to give tzedakah. He says, he was able to get, so he probably could get money. Right, so everyone started laughing. And the kid who didn't understand what, the joke, right, also started laughing. He started laughing, he threw it up. The Chazanish said, from here we learn that Simcha, Simcha is the biggest refua, even this, not the Simcha of the person himself, but the Simcha around him. Because when people are, like depression, when people are depressed, but the people around that person, they're happy and they're laughing and they're making jokes, it's going to end up saving that person. It's very important that a person should be besimple. I tell you that would be the last story, but we have five minutes to do the hour. Another ridiculous story will end with this, because people beat themselves up. I'm not davening. A girl came to me. I was in seminary. I had such kavana. And now I, I can't have kavana. I don't know if Hashem... She said to me, I don't know if Hashem is, is listening to my davening anymore. I was in Eretz I went to the Kaiso, and I davened so good, and I was so connected. Now I'm in America, I'm in a rush, and I daven, and I don't have kavana. Sometimes I'm not even sure if I, what part of Shemun Esther I'm in. And she was like beating herself up. Jewish girls like to beat themselves up. That's what they do. So it happens to be that I heard a story from the Chavetz Chaim that before World War War, World War One, the baker in his town came to him and complained. He said, you know, said to Chavetz Chaim, I get up every morning and at 2 o'clock in the morning I bake bagels and bread and everything. And then people come into my store and they start squeezing all the, is this good, is this fresh? And they're squeezing it and they're squeezing my cake and they're sticking their fingers in it. And then in the end, they don't buy anything. They go across the street. Oh, we bought there, it's cheaper. He says, I, I can't deal with this. I'm, I'm not doing well in business at all. And why are they touching all my food? Okay. Whatever it was, struggle. World War I came. I met him in the street. He's all smiles. I said, why are you all, what, what's the smiles about? He says, I'm having the best business. Any, any crumb that I bake, because it was a wartime and there was no food, whatever crumb I bake, they buy. Whatever I put out in the morning, sold out. Nobody even touches the bread. They're like, just give me a dozen. Well, you don't want to squeeze it? No, I don't want to squeeze it. Give me a dozen because there's a whole line of people that want the bread. He says, I bake it to a clock. Whatever I put out, gone. He says, this war is the most amazing thing for me. Everyone else is like, what? And I'm doing a bang-up business. Says the Chafetz Chaim. When it comes to tefillah, the Zayar says that in the times, the Maram and whatever it was, so if you didn't, if you learned Torah without Kavana or you daven without Kavana, the Zayar says the tefillah didn't go to Shemayim. Didn't go to Shemayim. He said, Chafetz Chaim said, but that's when there was no war. That's when there was a lot of bread. And you had Tanam, Amaram, and the biggest tzaddikim in the world. So the bread that came to Shemayim, the tefillah that came to Shemayim, the malachim squeezed it, they looked at it. Did he have kavana? Did he say it for the right reasons? They, they were busy with it. He says, but now in our times, that's what I said over to this girl, in our times, where there's so little tefillah, 
where there's so not that many religious Jews in the world? You think it's Shemayim? They're checking out your tefillah? They're so happy when a girl, Davin Shachris, for five minutes, Kavana, no Kavana, she Davin Shachris, they're so happy. Why? Because it's a time of war. It's a time when there is no bread. It's a time when there's a shortage of bread. There's a shortage of tefillah. There's a shortage of davening. He said, don't worry about your tefillah. Your tefillah is being accepted. I said to this girl, in our day and age, just daven. Don't worry about your kavana. Try. Try to do your best. Any tefillah that comes out of a Jew today, there's so little tefillah in the world. Any tefillah, any learning, they don't touch it. They don't squeeze it. They're like, there's such a hunger. There's such a starvation for the spirituality that any spirituality that comes up to the wor- next world, they leave it alone. They just accept it, just makabal it, and, 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 and therefore you don't have anything to worry about. So we should all have this chutz, we're in the we're in the three weeks. But we have to understand that the one that gave us the needle, the one that destroyed the, 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 the base Hamikdash, right? You have to go back to the Yitzhiya Mitzrayim. The person that's saying, you took me out of Mitzrayim to kill me in the Midbar, is not focusing on that you took me out of Mitzrayim. What do we need to focus in the three weeks? We all say, we are two Beis HaMikdash, they were destroyed. We're waiting for the third Beis HaMikdash. So we're depressed. Well, one second, we had two Beis HaMikdash. We had two Beis HaMikdash. So the God that gave us two Beis HaMikdash, and the Kohen Gadol, and all the clothing that he wore, and Yom Kippur, and Aaron HaKadosh, and the Menorah, which we still have, it, was, it went into the ground. The God that gave us all that was able to take us out of Mitzrayim and do all that. So if we don't have the base HaMikdash right now, there must be a reason. You, you went out of Mitzrayim, he did all that for you. You think he took, he took, you think he t- he took us into Golish to kill us, to wipe us out, to give us cancer, to make sure we have a shit of crisis, to do all this stuff? You think that, then, then, then why, we, why, we, why are we here? Why do we have a base HaMikdash? Why did we come out of Mitzrayim? Why did he do all that? He did all that to take us and hurt us and destroy us? No, there's a reason. We don't understand the reason. There's a reason that to, to, to get to Mashiach, we have to go through this Golos. When the Klaishwal was in Mitzrayim, right? It, it, they asked an unbelievable question. Why by the Brisbane of Sarim did Avram accept that? Hashem said to him that one day your children will go to a land that's not theirs. For 400 years they will suffer. Why did he get up and say, No, don't let it happen! Why didn't he argue? He didn't say anything. He didn't care about us. Because Abraham Avinu knew that we needed the 400 years, or it was only 210 years in Mitzrayim to become a nation. We had to go through that troubled time to become a nation. We were Shivim-ish, 70 separate people that came down to Mitzrayim, but we left Mitzrayim as B'nai Yisrael. So Avraham Avinu understood, he didn't argue. He said, I understand that even though my children are going to suffer, there's a purpose for their suffering. The same thing here. He took us out of Mitzrayim. You think he took us out of Mitzrayim to be in America? To go through all the tr- trouble that we're going through? You think he gave us two base Hamidash with a Kohen Gadol, with Yom Kippur, with everything that we saw to tease us? Ha ha, now you don't have it? No. He gave that all to us. And the same God that gave it, focus on the first part. Not focus on the, you took us out of Mitzrayim. Not to kill us in the mid, but don't focus on the suffering. Focus on what he did till now. If you focus on what he did till now, then you understand that there's a purpose, there's a reason. That even though it's a needle, even though it hurts, it depends who's giving you that needle. Is the anti-Semites giving us that needle? Were the Romans the ones that gave us that needle? Did the Romans destroy the base of Mikdash? Hashem destroyed the base of Mikdash. He's the one that's giving us the needle. If he's the one that's giving us the needle, then it's medicine. Do we understand the medicine? I don't understand all the medicine that's in a needle that they give me. I don't need to understand it. They tell me they're giving me a, a, a what's it called? I just took a, a vaccine for shingles. A shingles vaccine. You think I know what's in that vaccine? If you take it, you're not going to get shingles. Now there's a new one, whatever it is. You take this, right? You don't know what's in there, but you trust them. They're giving me this, it's protecting me from something else. During the three weeks, even though we talk, I have to mourn, and we don't have the base of Midrash, and the mourning really is not us. The mourning is Hashem. That He doesn't have a place to rest. I always ask Rabbi Gamliel, my Rebbe, What's the kavana you're supposed to have during the three weeks? What's the kavana? So most people think, oh, we had a base of Midrash Kohen Gadol, we don't have that anymore. No. So there's one kavana, one kavana on Tishabov, and the same kavana all three weeks. Mein Tata Hutnisht Ahoyz. My father has nowhere to live. My father got kicked out of his house, and he's living on the streets. 
He says, Hashem is our father. He had a base Hamigdash. We kicked him out of the house. He said, could you imagine? You kicked your own father out of the house and he's in the street. Would you not be going crazy to get him a new house? My Rebbe always tells me the same thing. He says, that's what you have to think about in the three weeks. We, we had Sinas Kinam. We caused our father, Veshachanti Besaikam, we caused our father to destroy the base of Israel, to be destroyed, that the Shekhinah has no place to rest, and the Shekhinah is still in Golas, and our only thing we should be thinking about is, I threw my father out of the house, I need to build him a new house. So that's what you have to have. That's the Kavana you're supposed to have in the three weeks. And if you have that Kavana, and I need to bring my father back into the house, and therefore we need to love each other, and we need to stop talking Lashon Haru, we need to start doing Ahavas Chinam instead of Sinas Chinam, he says, then Taka, Tishwa will become a Yantif, and Tishwa will be the day that Kosh Baruch Hu gets back into his house. He says, what bigger Simcha, and you threw your father out of your house, and then you build him a palace, and you bring him into that house. It's the biggest Simcha in the world. We should have the Schuss to be able to do that with Karayv. Thank you. You've just experienced another Torah class, brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.